Maybe, maybe. We've only been to yeah. the London Film London. Festival one, but we'd happily go to. Ed- we'd love to go if we're put if we're paid for and put up. We'll go oh, anywhere. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll go anywhere. Venice. cabinet in my kitchen got fixed it's been so broken we're for like the show. four or five months yeah. strap in folks <laughs> and then you know my wardrobe door that's been falling off for the same amount of time about six months so i i like part of a generation that just i, I don't know how to do it can't do it can't fix it never got taught at school can't do the hinge so i tried to get a hat what could you fix a hinge on a door which you need to drill in and do a, door a swing door but i yeah. can fix a cabinet I can unless it's been pulled or out and yeah, it's, it's lost some of the filling out of it. Then I yeah, it's lost the filling. It used to be <laughs> like you need to drill, but so like I tried to get a handyman in ages ago, and it was like very classic. Guy comes over and I'm like, I've told him already what we need to do, and he's like, No, can't do it. You need to you need to go to the shop, get the hinge. It's called the PLX941 copper brass thing, but you to, and I'm like, You have to do that in my head. I'm like, I want to go. Like I, I'm here to hire a man to do it because yeah. I can't slash won't do it. I'm not proud of it, yeah. but this is why I'm here. You've outsourced your ability. I'm outsourced. Here, here's some money. Please, please do it. I don't say this aloud. This is my yeah. head, please. And then so like months go you, by. You really great. You, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. You, months go by. You're like, James, you still need to get this cabinet fixed. I'm like, yes, I know. Get this new guy to come in today. George, he was phenomenal. He, yeah. walked, he comes in, meant to come at 9.30, turns up 9.32, fine. Come, come straight in. He goes, show me the show me the cabinet. I was like, oh my god, straight to it. Show him the wardrobe door. He goes, yes, yes, I can fix this. Show me the other one. I show him the cabinet. He goes, yes, yes, this will be fine. I go to my car, get the things, and I come back. And I'm like, okay, do you need tea or coffee? He's like, no, nope, I'm going to be very quick. Yeah. It'll be very quick for you. So he comes back in and he's like, straight away, drill does it. And then I'm like, I'm going to need to go. It's my mum's birthday today, so I'm going to go get her some flowers. I'm like, I'm just going to pop to the shop to your mum to, to, to my mum. I popped to the shop and I'm like, I'm just going to pop out, but I'll be back in about five, 10 minutes. And he says, you can do, but I'll be done and I'll be gone. And George, I came back. He was done. He was gone wow. like a ghost. Like he was never here. Wow, My cabinet cool. fixed. Mm. The other guy, a bunch of bullshit. Go to the shop, buy mm. the thing. You got ripped off. What, what do you mean? By the, by the, by the first guy. Well, I never paid. Uh, we never. Well, I'm sure you yeah. got, you, you know, you he never, he never did it. So I'm gonna, he's like, well, yeah, I'm, you gonna, gonna, I'm gonna go in that kitchen and rip it off. Just, just <laughs> yeah, to see the look on your six face. Six months later. Yeah. <laughs> he was great. No have nonsense. You, have you ever seen uh, Mouse Hunt with Lee Evans and um, what's his name? The guy's good and everything. Uh, Nathan Lane. You've seen that movie? No. I used to watch it a lot when I was a kid. Really yeah. strange, funny movie. Oh, when funny Lee when, Evans did a bit of acting. When, yeah, funny when you were a kid. Like it's basically these two like almost like con artist brothers inherit this mansion, this creaky old, it's not haunted. It's like a play on that. It's, it's a creaky old mansion out in the sticks, but instead of being haunted, the, the thing of the film is that it's, it's got a mouse problem. It's got one mouse oh, nice. and this mouse is a huge, huge issue. And obviously you have lots of comedic scenes with Lee yeah, Evans then, doing yeah. his fantastic physical shtick and Nathan Lane being great. Yeah. But there's a scene where Christopher Walken turns up as a rat rat hunter. Right. And he comes up almost look, looking like a Ghostbuster with all these like equipment and gear and like goggles yeah. on his head. And he's like, hunt a rat. You have to think like a rat. You have to get down on your knees, smell around. And, yeah. you know, Lee Evans and Nathan are like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, just reminded me of that. Very funny. Did you ever see The Borrowers? 
with Jim John Goodman. And John Goodman yeah, is no, also like once. he comes in to like yeah, it's a real uh, sort of perspective scale fun yeah. Honey I Shrunk the Kids type thing, and he like fills in all the the, the, the insulation with this like foam. Mm. It's good. He's John forward. Goodman's always a welcome presence in any film. I think. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I see, and him, he I'm makes like, an yeah. impact when he comes in. He's a big. He's a bit. He doesn't go. Missed. He's a big guy. Yeah. You know, let's, we're not going to lie about. It. I mean, he, you know, he's 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 imposing. He's all talks. Like very presidential. Sully, you know. Yeah. Um, so interesting thing happened this week. So James and I, on, in one day, we had like two events that we had to do, mm, yeah. which was quite fun. So in the morning, we went to the Savoy Hotel to go and listen to the announcement of the BAFTA. This year's BAFTA Awards, every year there's a category for the best rising star. Yep. Five nominees. They, they do a little press thingy in the morning where they bring the nominees out, a couple of the nominees, they chat for a bit, photo call, that stuff, and we're just there in the crowd. And we, it was you like, get to look at famous people. Yeah, to look at famous people, and it was all nice, and, and, and that's all great. Alan you can, Plum does like a mini live junket. Yeah, and you can vote for those people now if you want, whoever wants. It's, it's the only BAFTA award voted for but for the, by the public, and you can go and do that. But the reason I bring it up, because I went last year and you were unavailable. Yeah. I remember last year I went, and they lay out this really nice spread, breakfast spread. Mm. It's the Savoy Hotel we're talking mm. about here. And I remember thinking this year, I was like, oh, last year I had a banging cup of tea. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. Oh, no, so this yeah. year, I get there, get there before James. We go down, lovely breakfast spread. I'm like, here I go, a cup of tea. Mm. Go over to the tea table. However, what they had this year, which they didn't have last year, was a member of staff with white cotton gloves and a white cotton jacket. So Savoy. Being like, hello, sir, tea or coffee? And I'm thinking, I mean, this is not like running off to the kitchen to get some sort of elaborate thing. It's a tea urn, you know, mm. and out of a bag, it ripped out of a paper thing. And, put, and I'm thinking... I probably could do this myself. I feel a little bit demeaning asking someone to do this, but yeah. it is her job. And like, not like it is her job she should do, no, but like, like the, I want to respect the fact that, you know, she, she's there. You'd be creating more problems if so you tried I, to so make I deferred to her. I said, of course, uh, I would love a cup of tea. Thank mm. you. And James, here's what I saw. She, she took the mug. She took the, the, the Brit- tea. British members of the audience, please listen yeah. to caution. She took the tea bag out of the paper bit, slapped it in the mug. That's fine. Put the hot water onto the tea bag, filled it up to the cup. Fine. Said to me, would you like milk? I said, yes, please. She said, okay. Took the tea bag out of the mug, oh. slapped it down, poured the milk in and handed it to me. And Unbelievable. James, I think I've stepped in puddles I would have drunk from more yeah. than this, yeah. this tea. It was- it, I'm from the Savoy. I mean, I mean, really. And I, and I looked at it and I looked at her and I thought, <laughs> do, I, do I be that person? Do I do that? My dad is that person. But I yeah. went, thank you. And I walked over to my table. I took a couple of sips and I waited for James to arrive to try to basically sneak back over to the table and make a yeah. stronger cup. So not great tea experience. It astounds me that ho- I film in a lot of hotels mm. and I travel quite a lot and I have to have a lot of like rushed breakfasts. Mm. It astounds me that a hotel, again, I might sound like so sort of entitled person problem. <laughs> it is, I can't fix the cabinets on my door astounds in my kitchen. Me. And when I go to the hotel- That a hotel whose product is bed- sleep and welcoming you in the morning and off in your day that, that, that coffee and obviously tea morning beverages aren't like the most paramount pillar yeah. of that entire business because sure. some hotels have like very average breakfast but if that average breakfast has a proper coffee mm. for me it's coffee made by a person or mm. there's like an actual like someone took a trendy cafe mm. and they said i want that in my hotel and they lifted it up and put it in the hotel breakfast yeah. and it gets brought to you or i can go and order it and, and like if you get that Average breakfast doesn't matter. But if you have an average breakfast and the coffee is, yes, sir, there's a sachet under your cup. Or the coffee is, yes, sir, there's a machine, just press latte. Mm. All of a sudden, and some of these these are nice hotels, fancy hotels. Mm. I just think like ordering a la carte ordered coffee should be the pillar 
of hospitality in hotels. And the fact that it isn't is mind-blowing. That is all. Hearing us talk, I'm wondering if people spit in our coffee. Because <laughs> yeah, because I generally like like I know this, we're totally different. With for me, tea is like oh, tea's nice. I like a nice tea. Always, aren't we having tea in a nice place? But coffee for me is like a good coffee. I will dream about. Yeah, I, I will go same. to bed like oh my god, this coffee's like made my day. I'm and then the if same, you I think you're gonna too. get it, and like your entire framing for the days is just fucked mm. if you have the bad <laughs> coffee. And I'm like need to now get a coffee, and I just think. Even expensive hotels get this wrong. Anyway, I'm just sort of waffling. Well, it, I'm no, very upset. I agree because tea is is is, is the, 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 the the here's the sort of peril that lies in tea. Mm. It, it's its simplicity and its simplicity. There you go. Walk the path straightly, and you will you will be fine. Yeah. Deviate or not adhere to the simple rules of tea making, and yeah, you, you risk jeopardizing the foundations. Yeah, someone's day. That said, everything else at the breakfast was lovely. Yeah. And, and of course, if the Savoy Hotel would like to have us back anytime, we really <laughs> take it. it. Hey, we love Do you know what? I think really, this, it's, if I'm properly to get a good review of the Savoy, I'll need to stay, you know, gratis to yeah. get a good experience. I'll never forget. That can be before, sorted out. Thank you. Before my first ever shift as a runner and the foundation of that job is making tea. And I wasn't a big tea drinker. Like I, I would drink tea, but again, like, not a big thing. I said to my mum, I was like, mum, just, I don't want you to feel weird about me asking you this can we just go through like how to make a really good cup of tea? Cause I don't want to cock it up. Mm. And then she did. She was like, here are the things and just little tips that yeah. you don't even That's think about. Me too. And, I, and I really took that into my, it's into not, my career. And I think it's a yeah. testament to where I am today. That it's, I asked, it's not <laughs> I asked rocket those science, questions. It's little bits of etiquette. Anyway, welcome to episode 111. 111. Palindrome. Yes, it is. Correct. Yeah. So would have been episode 101. Yeah. And, and so will episode 323. Which, Oh my God, James, that, that's in the future. Yeah, yeah. mark this day. Well, so it could be episode 222. Two, two. Yeah, yeah. 232. Two. 171. Okay, um, stop now. My brain hurts. Actually, any number that's any 121, 131, 141 of this yeah, entire range. We'll have loads in, in this century. This is an interesting. The fact that it's episode 111 is interesting because today we've got reviews of two films. We're going to be reviewing The Holdovers, which I know a lot of people have already written in about because it mm -hmm. came out in the States prior to Christmas, a lot of awards buzz, Paul yeah. Giamatti picking up a couple of award gongs there. That's really, coming out. It's strange that that happens. That mm. do, usually America doesn't get stuff that much earlier than us. Yes. It used to be a thing that happened like 15 years and ago. And it is a shame that this film, which is heavily centered around Christmas, yeah. comes out in January, which is often like the worst time to bring out. You watching it, we're like, why? She was like, why didn't it come out at Christmas? I, I was like, it came out at Christmas. In the I, would, I can only assume that maybe to do with the strike or whatever, they just, it was too yeah. soon to get things booked in. Mm. I don't know. But, we're going to be reviewing the holdovers, and I have also seen uh, the new Anthony Hopkins film One Life, about Nicholas Winton. True story. We'll be, we'll be reviewing that, and as ever, guys, you're in for a treat. A bonus episode coming your way. We're going to be talking about poor things. I finally went to go see Poor Things. Going to be picking up on George's thoughts, and I'll be giving my thoughts. It'll probably be some spoiler discussion in there as yes. well. So if you haven't seen Poor Things, please wait for that. But uh, yeah. And also a quick review you'll be doing of a new horror film called Night Swim mm. about an evil swimming pool. Does it, do, they, do they use the REM song Night Swimming? Because that's what, what I don't know if you know that song. But every know, time I see it, I go Night Swimming. I'm going to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Any REM fans out there? <laughs> All right, let's get on with the show. So guys, coming up this Friday is National Popcorn Day. So it makes total sense to pay a visit to your local cinema to mark the occasion. 
If you pop into your local view on Friday, that's Friday the 19th of January, you'll be able to take your popcorn to the next level by topping it up with a portion of M&M's for free. You can give different flavor combos a go by pairing the chocolate M&M's with sweet, salty, or mixed popcorn. If you're wondering what to see while you're out enjoying your jazzed up popcorn, then don't worry, because View are doing their bit towards banishing the January blues by bringing some real feel-good classics back to the big screen. Yes, Mrs. Doubtfire will be showing at View venues across the country, and The Devil Wears Prada will also be returning to the big screen from Friday. In the next couple of weeks, you'll also be able to see films like Groundhog Day, Sister Act, Mamma Mia, and 10 Things I Hate About You, which will be guaranteed to put a smile on your face and help you navigate the winter months. Also, they'll be playing alongside new releases like Poor Things, The Holdovers, and Mean Girls. For more information and to book tickets at your local view, head over to myview.com. Back to the show. So let's do One Life, which I know came out a few weeks ago, but um, it was sort of heavily trailed at the London Film Festival last year. One Life is the new film with Anthony Hopkins, Johnny Flynn, and also Helena Bonham Carter and Jonathan Price. Do you know the story of Sir Nicholas Winter? No, I don't. Uh, Which is interesting because I do, um, partly just through news and uh, being sort of vaguely interested, fairly interested in World War II. So... uh, I think the film can exist with you knowing the story. I'll try and tiptoe around it as much as possible. I think yeah. if you don't know the story, then that's even better. Let's assume audience members also don't I will, know it I will, well. I will assume absolutely the audience's members, audience members, particularly outside of the UK, will not know this story. But I think there are elements of this story that will be known to people, particularly on, uh, on TikTok or whatever. So One Life is about Sir Nicholas Winton, who in 1938... He was a uh, London stockbroker. In 1938, he went to Czechoslovakia after the the Nazis invaded the Sudetenland. And he helped organize the, what was called the Kindertransport, um, taking children, child refugees, and getting them safe passage via train to the UK, where they would be looked after by uh, parents, you know, know, adults and guardians. And... um, he did that. He had no. Con- he, he wasn't like he was Czech or Slovakian himself. He wasn't. He had no personal connection to it. He did this because he has felt like a moral duty to. So the story follows his experience in 1938 of doing that, and cuts to the present day, which is in 1988, I believe, where Anthony Hopkins plays uh, Sir Nicholas Winton in, later in life, who is um, retired, still doing lots of charitable work, um, incensed at the way that refugees are talked about on the news and has a very cluttered house in a drawer in, in, and a drawer in his desk in which a briefcase sits sort of untouched. And there's a lot of talk from his wife saying, you need to clear up the house, we need to move on. You know, our child is, 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 bringing, is pregnant, going to have a grandson soon. Can you, can you clear up the house? So she goes away and sure enough he does. And he's thinking, what do I do with this briefcase? And in this briefcase is all about the, the children that he helped navigate safe passage for and all the children he helped saved back in the, the, the early 1930s um the, the you kind of then have this you have these two stories like i said cutting back to seeing his experience and cutting forward to the present day to uh, to seeing how that experience in the past is reconciled with nicholas winton's life he's an incredibly humble man he doesn't want to fuss about what happened in the past he doesn't want to hide it but he is not interested in he doesn't all of us sort of associate any sort of heroics, heroism with what he did. That's the central story. And the the film builds towards a conclusion. Like I said, I think a lot of people will know. But if you don't, that's absolutely fine. So part historical story based on, based on fact. 
here's the thing with One Life is that when you look at the poster and when you watch the film, it is kind of exactly what it looks like in that it is very straightforward, very simple, very, you could say, pedestrian in, it, in, it, in its approach. It's like, it, I, this sounds kind of condescending. I don't mean it to me, but it's made by BBC Films. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of got that feel. It's right, like, yeah. here's a true story with British story. A-list talent in it. Um, that's about a really important subject that can reflect something on the present day. And, you know, it, in that sense, there's nothing definably special about the film, in, which is, uh, you know, which is fine. I'm just mentioning that because we're in a, we're at a time of year where you have things like poor things and the whole, there was these very loud yeah. standard I awards like contenders. One Life was leaning into that conversation. Yeah, it was. Bit, and it, it would have been an awards contender maybe 25 years ago. Yeah. So it's a very kind of safe straightforward, simple kind of pedestrian film. However, the fact is, the story is a good story. And it, through telling a really good story, which has a, net, you know, a, a, a relevant and emotional punch to it, that can carry it through. And Anthony Hopkins doing great work as ever. I mean, he really can do it in his sleep. Yeah. Um, and all the other talent, of course, are on screen. But with him and with the story, I found that, by the end of the film, I was kind of like, yeah, this, you know, this, this is a, this is a, this is a valuable story. It's something that we should remember. I think that if I had anything, there was the, the early part of his story about his motivation as a young man to go to Czechoslovakia to do this. The first time we cut back to 1938, he's basically come home to, to Helena Bonham Carter, who's playing his mother, being like, right, I'm going. Have you heard the news? I'm trying to make contact. I'm going. And I personally would have liked a little bit more about what takes an ordinary person, what, what motivates an ordinary man like himself who had no connection to Czechoslovakia to want to go out there and, and perform this moral duty? What, what was the penny drop moment? Other than, you know, obviously it was a humanitarian disaster. Yeah. We know that. We know what the sort of gathering storm that was happening. But I personally would have liked a little bit more about what takes what makes an ordinary person decide to do something with great risk that's also, that performs extraordinary action. Um. But I think the film is, it, it's heartfelt and it's a really good story. And it, and I think, you know, you and I are interested in World War II and kind of have like, I think connected to World War II. And I think you'll, it will resonate. And I have to say that towards the end of uh, the film, I did, it did prick my conscience. And I did start to think, do I do enough? Do I do enough? Do we do enough as, as people? Not. Here's someone who was an ordinary man and did something extraordinary. Mm. And the film actually gets more interesting as it moves on because of the way, because of what happened, the way it plays on uh, Nicholas Winton's life and the way that Anthony Hopkins kind of performs that weight carrying on him is very moving and involving. So a lot of people might've missed it or they might've seen a poster for it and thought, oh, you know, I'll catch it whenever. It is simple, it is straightforward, but it is a very good story and it is very well told mm. and with, with great performances. So that carries it over the line. Is it worth me seeing? I think if you've got, I think if you've got a spare bit of time, I wouldn't. Yeah. I would say, yeah, if you've got like a, a damp Tuesday afternoon and you don't know what to do with yourself, you're yeah. like, well, the one life. And I think actually, particularly because you don't know the story, actually, yeah, it's probably, probably more valuable for you because for me, I knew th I knew the main bits. Yeah. There was a couple of moments where I thought, oh, I didn't know that person was involved. That significant historical figure was involved. I didn't realize this, but I think for you, uh, it could be worthwhile. Nice. So guys, if you enjoyed One Life and you'd like to send in your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, your opinions about the film, send them into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and we will read them out on the show. George, thank you very much. 
So let's do the holdovers, which um, we've both seen. And like I said at the top of the show, getting a lot of uh, messages about it from you know a more international audience saying they've seen it. And like I said, a lot of buzz around it. We talked about it briefly when we talked about the films that were coming to the London Film Festival last yeah. year. And uh, it's directed by Alexander Payne, who's a director that I, I, I really like. He's got a really good, witty slightly satirical edge to him. And if anyone's seen Election with Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick, I really like that. He made Sideways. Sideways is probably his most successful film. That's with Paul Giamatti and the sort of wine country. It's pretty good. He made Nebraska, The Descendants. Um, And then he kind of uh, shot himself in the foot, should I say. I never saw it, but he made Downsizing. I think I saw it and stopped. Yeah, Yeah. which I've heard was really, really bad. It really unravels and gets sort of a bit, yeah, uninteresting to me. That was seven years ago, though. So he's had time Uh, to sort of go away. And this is actually, he just directs this film. He hasn't written it, um, which which he normally writes his own scripts. The Holdovers is set in 1970 in New England, um, I want to say Massachusetts somewhere. Yeah. Is Massachusetts? New England, Massachusetts. New England, yeah. And it is set at an elite boarding school for boys in the in New England, which is always a really weird destination character in American cinema for me. Because it's what, what, for me like boarding those style boarding schools feel like such an English thing, yes. and then to see that <coughs> jettisoned into American culture, which from yeah. our perspective, American culture is high school like yeah. like Mean Girls. Yeah. I'm always like, where does this fit? And who goes to these things? And what are the people like that graduate from them? I've always found them like weird and fascinating, yeah. in equal measure. But yeah, that's all. So you were, you were at this school called Barton Academy. It is December 1970. It is snowbound. It is freezing. All the kids are ready to pack up and go home for the holidays. There's sort of a tangible excitement in the air. On the one hand, you have Angus, who is, you know, uh, slightly, you know, gangly, tall, but very precocious and very smart uh, student who can't wait to go to St. Kitts. He's got a suitcase packed. He's thinking, I'm getting out of it. On the other hand, you have uh, the person who, who's his classics teacher, played by Paul Giamatti, who plays Paul Hunnam, who is this classics professor, who is a sort of classic trope of curmudgeonly figure, who is every single sentence is a classic reference yeah. to, to the Greeks, to the Romans. To never the, leaves the school. Never leaves the school. He's there in his bow tie and his sleeveless uh, cardigan, like I'm wearing right now. Um, Crusty tweed suit. Smoking a pipe. And curmudgeonly uh, difficult person who doesn't really want to socialize with other people. The, one of the, the first scenes of the Sorry, film. Smart. One of the first scenes of the film is him being given a plate of Christmas cookies by a fellow colleague, and him not really knowing what to do with it. Yeah. However, what happens is every every year, one uh, member of staff has to stay on campus and uh, monitor those that are called the holdovers. Those are the boys that have nowhere to go over Christmas time and have to stay on site. For various reasons, it turns out to be Paul's year, news to which he accepts, not with uh, complete outrage. He already stays on campus and lives on campus anyway, so he's not completely outraged. Yeah. He's a little bit annoyed at not being able to have his private time. Mm. But he is given this ragtag bunch of about five boys, including Angus, who thought he was going to St. Kitts, but through plot circumstances, finds himself being one of the holdovers. So there you are, you have a curmudgeonly professor looking after a ragtag bunch of boys of different ages on campus uh, during the Christmas of 1970. They are also joined by Mary, who is the school cook, who um, is grieving the loss of her son, who was a Barton student, who was killed in Vietnam that year. Crucially, uh, Mary is black, her son was black, and there is this racial 
uh, theme running through it about how her son was only able to get access to that school because of her uh, her working there, mm. but her son was not wealthy enough to afford college, which the elite kids are able to go to, which would mean they could dodge or slash defer being drafted to the Vietnam War. There you have this kind of ragtag pseudo family situation. It's shot on sort of shimmering film stock mm. um, with a sort of nice stock. bit of noise and grain in the camera. The holdovers. James. Can I just say zoom shots yeah. are so in right now yeah from poor things which is pretty eccentric enough as it is expect there to be a few may december dream scenario i want to say uh, loads of others zoom, this film in particular zoom shots so yeah. hot right now also zoom shots uh they're they're, they're great comedic devices maybe great aren't comedic they? great as melo- tension builders melodrama as melodrama well. great to like lean you in to looking in forward yeah. or zooming out there's some like amazing zooms from like what must have been an 800 mil, yes. which is like a title Paul Giamatti, and it just whips. Yeah. It's like a super wide, very, very fun. Um, yeah, I think, you know, talk about set in the 1970s. It it's not only looks like the 1970s, it looks like a film made in yeah. the 1970s. And I think it's a film that we would more likely have got closer to the 1970s. Mm. We don't really get lots of films like The Holdovers. I thought Dead Poet Society immediately screamed out to me as a, mm. as a pairing for this, like teachers, students, mm. old American boarding school. I love that it started with those vintage film indents, yes. the old school, I don't know what you'd call them, but sort of labeling and yeah. classification of film really wants you to think that you're watching an older film from an older time. And immediately I was so wonderfully sold by its amazing sense of period and yeah. place. And I, I th- it was, despite it being being very frosty and actually a different kind of Christmas film. Mm. I felt like a lot of it was a very much a, a warm blanket for me. Um, I think overall I had a really, really nice sweet time with it. I think it's a very sensitive and delicate film. It has this running sense of melancholy all the way throughout, mm. but it wasn't overpowering. Mm. There's a sadness under a lot of the scene sirens on our end that I think, you know, it's there, but it doesn't overpower the film. A lot of it's, emotional i think it's actually quite reserved with how much i was expecting more emotional gut punches than it actually delivered mm. i wonder if i do want more but none of the moments towards the end where i think it really sort of turns up the drama it, it they didn't feel cheap i mm. felt like it really yeah. earned those moments and i was really there with the characters yeah. so for that i think it's really great i think paul giamatti can we say a pop kitchen favorite of ours but we've oh, not yeah. actually discussed paul, paul giamatti in a long time because i don't yeah. think he's been in something that you and i discussed but i just think he's he's Kind of cast in the perfect Paul Giamatti role yes. as a know-it-all professor who's yeah. very sort of soft and empathetic, but um, has a sort of hidden yeah. sadness, the sadness within him. Uh, and then this kid who I, I entirely looked at, and I was like, that guy's like 28. But he's not, he's 21. He's, not, he's 21, yeah. I take it all back. I really was struggling because he's quite tall and it looks like he was sort of clean shaving every day. But uh, forgive me, the actor's name he plays. Uh, I want to say Dominic Sasser. Dominic Sasser, really, really, really great. Funny when he needs to be. Kind of played Jewish, but isn't Jewish in the film. But we were sort of thinking there's a there's a Jewish style comedy to him in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I had a I had a really nice time with it. Dominic Sessa. Thank you, Dominic Sessa. Um, yeah, I, I, nice. I, I, I'm of the same opinion. I really, I really liked it. I thought it was really lovely. And I really, the longer the film went on, the more I kind of was enjoying its company and its presence. I, yeah. I agree. I think Paul Giamatti is doing a wonderful... All the performers are actually doing a wonderful thing. And I think the first thing I noticed is that the film is really built on um, tropes that in other hands would be very kind of um, mishandled and very kind of reductive. So, for example, the reluctant guardian trope. Oh, 
I now have this 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 boy and boys in my care. Yeah. I don't want to be that see Manchester by the sea, see about a boy. The it's, last of us. Exactly, right? <laughs> Anything. It's, it's been done. And also the kind of Scrooge curmudgeon trope. All those ingredients are there. There's lots of kind of, it's kind of got, got a literary aspect to it, not just because he's a classics professor, but, but some of the kind of, actually the characterization is so, I think, multidimensional yeah. and well-written that it feels like a novel approach. Uh, despite it being kind of, yeah, the setting of it, yeah, boarding school, kids together, ragtag bunch of mm. kids. It's Christmas, they're all different, but are they? But when they actually find common ground in lesser hands, that would have been a very schmaltzy, yeah. um, I think eye-rolling, predictable film. But because Alexander Payne is a very good filmmaker, and this is working from a great script, and it's made with great intelligence, it completely lifts that. Mm. And what you have is a film that's smart, that's witty, is full of soul, does not tip over into schmaltzness, does yeah. not actually pull a dead poet society on us, but actually has... Yeah, dead poets is like the most dramatic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it, totally. it, it, it holds itself back from that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it really uh, uh, lets you kind of, lets its characters breathe. And, and, and the, the way those characters are written, I was really, the, the way they would drip feed information and reveal things about those characters yeah. throughout the story was really well timed and really well placed and then what makes it great is every so often there'll be a nice witty gag yeah everything oh, yeah. from a slapstick gag to a very sharp line to great staging and even and also like visual comedy as well i mean he talks about the zoom zoom shots mm. alexander payne has a good visually comic eye as well and i really found myself caring a lot and and, and the emotional dynamic and it's set within this world, which is really interesting, is full of contrasts, right? So you have elite private boarding school mm. that is also on its last legs, has not got a lot of money. They're trying to conserve heat. The the way that the holdovers, the boys, kind of exist in the in their weeks before in the week before Christmas is like prison. Yeah, it's yeah. all steer. They have to all leave their dunes, the, move into the said, infirmary. Yeah, that's it. They're only putting the heating on in like one section of the building, so they all have to move there. You have a professor who is erudite and brilliant and intelligent, but really struggles to communicate with other people. Yeah. You've got um like I said, Mary, this figure who's warm and 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 intelligent and emotionally intelligent, but it's kind of relegated to being backroom staff because she's in the she's in the kitchen. And there's all of the, and like I said, this kind of, even the 1970s setting is a contrast because it's shot with nostalgia, you know, warm film stock, beautiful buildings, architecture, the crispness of the snow, the way that the Christmas lights kind of shimmer in the film stock. In the town as well. But, or, yeah, but also cut with the fact that this is a very kind of bleak time for America. The presence of Vietnam is just there. The there's threat of it is there. Yeah, the threat of it, particularly on that generation of boys. And there's, there's a line where I think Angus says, they'll send me to, you know, he's worried about being kicked out of school and he says, they'll send me to military academy or you know where, and they all know that there's Vietnam. So I think that's great and it gives it a really nice sense of balance. I just came away thinking that was a really well, uh, well-balanced, uh, very clearly thought out and proportioned film. And it was kind of, yeah, there is something old fashioned in a way, but not old fashioned in a, in a stuffy, it's, you can relax into it and think, oh yeah, this is an even-handed, nicely good movie with good heart that doesn't tip over, doesn't do anything silly, doesn't push your buttons too much. It mm. has enough intelligence to let you build it yourself. And I, I thought it was lovely. To me, the handling of Mary's character in particular was something that I think really separates it from other films of the era yes. it's invoking. Yes. I don't think 
correct me if I'm wrong, films from that era were writing middle-aged black women in that way. Mm. I think in a lesser hands yeah. or in a lesser film or a film that wasn't written as well, mm. that character would be reduced to like a wise cracking or like giving you some random, giving the white character some random wisdom throughout the film. And there's just this, they, they give that, that mm. character and the, the, what that character's going through so much lovely room to breathe without screaming it in your face. Yeah. And it's allowed to inform everything else for the other characters without dominating the film and just yeah. being well-rounded and sincere and emotionally relevant. That for me was, I thought, the re- that just that whole character arc really stood out to me. And played by Devine Joy Rudolph, Randolph? Devine Joy Randolph? I want to say Devine Joy Randolph. Devine Joy Randolph, who I, I have only seen previously in Only Murders in the Building where she was working from a much lesser script. And then... I think, yeah, she's doing terrific work in this. And there's a lot of buzz about her getting the gong for Best Supporting Actress. Mm. I do think that also, you're right in when you say about her t- depiction because film history has a very bad record of depicting uh, black middle-aged women, particularly in America, particularly of that era, uh, and falling a domestic, a dom- in a domestic setting as well, yeah. in a sort of you know, service setting, being like the mammy figure and being the sort of either... Um, voice of wisdom yeah. and a kind of wisecracking comic relief. Yeah. But this is a fully dimensional character and there's scenes that just break your heart. Mm. And it's, it's a, you know what it is? It's a film made with lots of tenderness. Yeah. It's a really, you know when you like take something out of the oven and it's really well baked and you're yeah. like, that chicken is tender. Delicate light touch. Well. Delicate light touch. Multiple light touches creating Absolutely. something very meaningful. Doesn't, doesn't overstep itself. It's, it's really nice. I was really charmed by it and I, I think everyone would kind of have a good time with it. It's, yeah. It's there. Would have been a nice Christmas film. It would. I I actually. It it did remind me a bit of Little Women. Oh yeah, Greta Gerwig's Little Women, because like that in the way that that's a Christmas film, but isn't a Christmas film, but is a Christmas film. In that, (laughs) the reason why Little Women is so brilliant is not only that it's it has that kind of yeah familial warmth and there's the Mm. Christmas setting all that stuff, but there is sadness in Little Women. Yeah, there's real tragedy and there's real sadness, and that is also in the holdovers. There's kind of Mm. this melancholy behind everything, and that's what makes Christmas films. Mm. That's what makes it. It's not the hallmark Christmas movies where everything is like that deep you know we were talking about christmas films and you were like yeah sure wonka paddington great but like very obvious mushy christmas films and then like you put the thing on for your family which totally applies but it's not cozy and and nice at all the holdovers for me sits in this like it's lovely there's a lot of darkness and sadness there but it's not so like gushy let me rub your chubby cheeks christmas it actually is a really well placed well toned film Mm. for the christmas time more more of them please so I, I, I back on form. For I really liked Payne. it. I, absolutely back on form for Alexander Payne. I think most people like it. Please let us know your thoughts if you enjoyed it too. Um, I, I, I think it was lovely. A really nice, solid, yeah. lovely film. Yalb writes in to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and says, hi, my name is Yalb from Toronto and I've been a fan of podcasts for a while now. Or it could be Job. Could like, be Job. Like the oh. bo- biblical Job. But Job is spelt. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm well, good. Yalb, Job. I'm going to go with Yalb for now. Yalb. 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 I think, I think Yalb. 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 Yalb says, writes into hello at podcast.com just like you can. It says, hi, my name is Yalb from Toronto and I've been a fan of the podcast for a while now. Now that 2023 is over, I feel like this has been a great year for movies in general with great blockbusters like Barbie and Oppenheimer. Movies from great directors like Poor Things and Killers of the, Killers of the Flower Moon, but also indies like Past Lives, May, December and Anatomy of a Fool. But more than anything, I finally felt like the experience of going to the cinema is back how it used to be prior to the pandemic. My personal best movie experience of the year was going to TIFF because it was my first time going to an actual film festival and it was amazing. 
amazing to see the city filled with other movie lovers. I don't know if you've been to TIFF, but I definitely recommend going. Also, a beautiful time of year in Toronto, as they say it. As the festival, one of the movies I got to see was The Holdovers, which is one of my favorite films of the year. I think Devine Joy Randolph deserves an Oscar for that performance, and the fact that it was Dominic Sessa's first film role is crazy, because yeah. he was great in that movie. He is very good. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, anyways, I wanted to ask you guys if you've been to any film festivals, and if so, what's your favorite experience from one? Happy well, New Year, and looking forward to episodes during Oscar season. Yab. Yab, I have a feeling we probably read that email out at the time, but if, Maybe. we've only been to yeah. the London Film London. Festival one, but we'd happily go to... Ed- we'd love to go... If we're, put, if we're paid for and put up, we'll go oh, anywhere. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go anywhere. Venice. Oh, oh that'd be amazing. This next email is from Matthew, who sent this email in a while ago because he wanted to write in about being last place in the quiz. Thank you, Matthew. But he, he mentioned The Holdovers there. He says, I do have some movie talk. I went to the premiere of The Holdovers at the London Film Festival. I saw James there because you were working you. there in your actual job. Yes, I saw Alexander Payne. We did a little interview with him. He says, I thought it was a really beautiful film. The way it's edited makes it look and feel like you're watching a film made in the 70s, which I thought was an interesting choice. It's a really touching film about the relationship between a student and his teacher. Yep. Da, da, da. Um, and I'd be disappointed if Paul Giamatti doesn't receive an Oscar nod. The, um, the ending was a real gut punch for me where it really makes you emotional. As a teacher myself, I wonder whether this film resonated with me on a different level to a viewer who isn't in the education profession. Matthew, Matt, thank you very much. Thank you. Great to see you as always. Matt, Guys, thank you so much. If you had thoughts and wanted to send in your thoughts about the holdovers, send them in to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. George, should we do some emails? Sure. George, it's time to go through some of the emails that we get sent into the show. Guys, if you want to send your emails into the show, as I've said many times this episode, you can do by emailing in to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com just like Bevan did. Oh, Bevan. Bevan writes into the show with subject, hey, BBYS. Babies. Babies. Hey, babies. Hey, babies. Bevan, where you been? She's been, it's been a while. She has a life, James. Uh, sorry, Bevan. James, Bevan, you go... Uh, you know, you hear from us. Bevan, I don't know what's going on, Bevan. To you go live your life. I need... Uh, Be free now. It's okay, Bevan. Bevan says, hey, uh, how's things? As per, been loving the pod lately. Thanks, I Bevan. always try and save the episodes when they're released for my commutes slash the gym, but I always end up listening straight away. <laughs> That's nice. Bit of a different one today. I unfortunately got my heart broken over Christmas. <gasps> Bevan, let me do that to you. And so I have a question. Do you guys slash fellow sirens have any movie suggestions that you watched when you went through breakups? I feel like there's a great niche genre here. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Le gras, le gros, which means with love in Irish language. I butchered that definitely. Bevin. 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 Firstly, first of all, you're all good. You'll be fine. You'll be, you'll be fine. You'll be, you'll be grand. Yeah. Straight out the gate, I would say. Le gras. I'd say that's le gras. Le gras. Straight out the gate, I would say let's avoid sad sad romantic films well unless you want to feel your emotions you want to get like you want to watch mm. an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. i think that's something you do in a different i don't know how recent this was bevan i mm. think you want to give yourself some cooling off period mm. and i would instead look to find the funny side in the breakup mm. my recommendation is to go for like a forgetting sarah marshall mm, of course not like, seen that in a while but... oh yeah oh i've not seen in a while either but, so um, are you are you just are you thinking of break breakup themed movies that happen to be positive? Yeah, that are like As on the whole just like funny and we're moving dancing. on. Yeah, or just like I don't know something really sad. You don't want to do maybe what's put it in perspective. Like go watch Son of Saul and then be like, <laughs> yeah. out, like you know what was really sad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Usually that's bad. like shit. I guess I'm okay. Yeah, um, yeah maybe. Yeah, what's the thing? Like funny. Um, stay away from your normal people. Well, your about, one day. Don't look at one day. What about a movie like? You know, it's about someone 
going on their own journey. Oh, yes. Like Kill Bill as one example. But Kill also, Bill, great breakup yeah, film. Yeah, breakup film, because yeah. she's like out for blood. Like, ah. Yes. There's also a great movie, well, I think it's a great movie, called Tracks with Mia Wasikowska and yes. Adam Driver. You seen it? No, but I know of the film. Set in Australia, woman decides, true story, in the mm. 70s, she was like, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to tame four wild camels yeah. and then I'm going to walk them, walk them in the 70s, across australia and james australia famously yeah. very hostile in the middle yeah and she does it and it's a really it's like you go girl or you find uh like a fantasy genre that's completely mm. sexless like tolkien mm. like there's no there's, there's no, barely there's no a kiss yeah barely a kiss so, yeah it's all about like we should be able to love but we're not gonna love now we've got to destroy a watch ring watch a film set in a monastery but there's <laughs> yeah. no there's no desire watch silence with andrew garfield and oh, adam driver God, yeah. that's the sex is it got there's no sex in that is there no. No, yeah. No. That's suffering. That's austere. That is such that, a slog. If that movie was some food, it would be like a, a bit of porridge, yeah. watery porridge oh, given to you in like gruel. a slate gruel. In a wooden bowl. Yeah, a wooden bowl that you've got like a little thing to through get through. prison bra. Through prison bra. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, are you ready to denounce your religion? Yeah. yeah. They're like, there's been a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being a slop. Mate of mine from school. We both like, we both like films. We were like, we both like, yeah, like Scorsese's silence is a little bit long, a little bit intense, but we really like looking forward to go see it, but to go see it. I just remember, hey, it's such a slog of a film, brilliant performances, but really sort of hard to get through. And by the end of it, it completely sapped the energy from us. We didn't really have the energy to talk about it. I think we wanted to compliment it, but I know, it, days it, it on, does. I was like, that is just a real it is, chore it is a bit. It's like, it is a bit of a mission, literally like, like, like a religious mission. It kind yeah. of, oh. You feel the years oh. progress through the movie. Yeah. You come out looking like Andrew Garfield by the end of that movie, sort of wan and thin. Skin and bone. Bevan, you, you're great. Don't You'll worry about it. You know. But uh, they will rue the... Oh, Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, Crazy, Crazy Stupid, Stupid Love. love. Yes. yes. Something about to... older marriage and relationships. Not marriage story, I would say. Mm. Um, La La Land? La La Land. Too lovely. No, I think that, that, could, that could pluck at the wrong heartstrings. Whiplash, down, where you just like... Whiplash, he's yes. like, I don't need you. Yeah, and you're like, I am uh, trying to pursue excellence. Yes, yeah. you are weighing me down. Yes, whiplash, whiplash, good. Um, Bevan, you got this. Should be great. Should be fine. New email from Anders. Anders who writes in and says, a new favorite podcast. Um, hello, James and George. Um, I'm in. Uh, I've just discovered your podcast last week, and I've been listening to the segments. Um, for the films I've seen recently, I enjoy your takes. Uh, I'm a co-host of a Norwegian film podcast, so it's oh. very interesting listening. So. Anders has reviews of a few films. I'm going to pick out Maestro, which we haven't talked about that much. We reviewed on the show many weeks ago, but James also covered it in a bonus episode mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. He says, funny thing about Maestro is that it gets compared a lot to Tar and how Tar teaches you a lot more about conducting than Maestro does. Mm -hmm. I think I said that. Yeah. Now this is true and it's, part of, and it's part of the problem with Maestro, which I'll get back to, but there's something off about Tar too. While spending an awful lot of time talking about musical feeling, I found it very ironic how still the conducting was and how there was no musical feeling when Blanchett played the piano. Yeah. The reason I'm saying this is because I think Bradley Cooper cares a lot about doing the conducting right, and I think he did a good job of it as an actor. It would probably require a professional conductor to do a better job than Cooper did. That being said, I think it was strange to see how much he cared about looking like Bernstein, but both while conducting and not, when the focus is on his personal life and not on his career. I admire the approach to not make it just another biopic, but felt it strange to leave all of it out. Lastly, during the end credits, we are shown footage of the real Bernstein, and while watching him conduct, the audio is not from that concert, which uh. makes the conducting and the music out of sync. Why, he puts. So I have a friend who saw Maestro, and he yeah. made a slightly interesting point. So my friend's gay, and he said, 
he got the slight whiff of the maestro. I don't know if this is fair or not, but he felt it a little bit like Bradley Cooper, comfortable, straight man, mm. looking at Leonard Bernstein and going, oh, that must have been terrible for you. How brave. How brave. You were gay and you were married and that must have been awful and like awful time when by all accounts... Bernstein, what, the, what the film communicates, yeah, actually. The, yeah, well, the film communicates like, oh, a lot of anguish. But by all accounts, historically, Bernstein's was not, it was not that troubling. Like he had- he, Parties he, where he- he, Where he and his wife had an understanding. It wasn't a great burden in his life. You mm. know what I'm saying? And it's almost like this film kind of forces the, the presence of that in Bernstein's yeah. life a little too much because to give it a sense of drama and it's slightly- um, narrow-minded one could argue yeah of cooper on that part that's what my friend it's hard because we're not students of bernstein's life exactly um, just on your point about tar like yes the relationship between music between maestro and conducting and tar and conducting is very different but in tar music like haunts lydia tar yeah. and like the, the sounds that she's hearing literally haunt her and she's hot she's holding it from afar yeah. it's drama it's dark it's not it's not trying to achieve the same relationship with no. music in my eyes but tar is so much more psychological and experiential about conducting and about music intellectually as well there's that opening yeah. scene which is i don't know how long 20 minutes long and all and i i, I you know i can remember the dialogue from that scene but mm. I, there's the scene in maestro where bradley cooper's wearing the nice white cardigan outside yeah and he's doing the, well, the thing about that. music well, is the, the, really and i'm like i can't remember what you said in that scene no nothing. i can't remember because all it's i remember thinking is oh look at the close zoom you're giving yourself on your face cigarette cigarette, cigarette. I, I, I also i haven't said this on the show but this is also perhaps a bit, a bit unfair, but I've been thinking a lot about Maestro and a little bit about, we had a lot of correspondence about Saltburn mm. last week as well. So everyone's talking about Saltburn. And <laughs> I, I, I do fundamentally think that Bradley Cooper and Emerald Fennell can and will go on to make like good films. But I have this thing where it's like, I think that both of those people are filmmakers who have, might have been given a, too much resource and too much too early on in their Throwing directorial the car careers. Because I remember watching Maestro and a little bit of Saltburn. I remember thinking, mm. this is cool, but I think I'd like you to both go away and make a movie for $500,000 with four people in a room mm. and see what you can give me. Because to both people, I say, where are your crappy student films that you've exercised your, the harsh learning lessons? Yeah. Not to say that you know they didn't learn anything in the making of these films, but just watching Maestro and Saltburn a couple of times, I was like... You, I feel like you're working out your filmmaking skills in front of us on the biggest stage possible when most filmmakers get this out of the way. So when they get a film that's produced by Scorsese and Spielberg mm. with the biggest budget on the biggest streaming platform like Bradley Cooper does, we're ready, we're ready to rock and roll. Mm. I felt like I was still seeing Bradley Cooper explore himself as a filmmaker, but not, but in, in a way that we would expect most filmmakers to have done. And it's sort of this illusion of you get the, the finest budget production cinematography and you design it like a film that yeah. should be nominated for best picture he, with a with a biopic prosthetic. It's a very it's a very harsh argument. Yeah, and there's it's, also it's, an, you know, it's basically it's the same argument as saying that they're taking up someone's space in the queue. And I, 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 I just it's just just a thought. Just I've a thought. not been asked more about my opinions on a film than Saltburn. Than Saltburn. Yeah. So many of my mates who don't watch films are like, oh, did you see Saltburn? I watched Saltburn. 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 Yeah. Saltburn. I'm just hearing it on podcasts. I'm hearing it just on the tube. That whatever we we haven't really gotten on with it or thought it's that amazing, but a lot of people have been very intrigued by it. Yes, so it's 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 a combination of its aesthetic, 
It's availability. It's availability, yeah. yeah. And it's um, also got some sort of... Um, I think for people our age, the time period content. Yes. Well. Oh, yeah, the shot. Oh, you haven't seen Saltburn, the sea. Oh, the, you haven't seen the, the sea? Yeah, the sea. Oh, my God, it like completely was people mental. People just watching it for yes. that sometimes. So. Which, and so like my mate the other day, he was like, he was like, oh, did you like Saltburn? I thought it was great. And I was like, ah, it's, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's amazing. Like there's parts of it I found quite intriguing, but all in all, it's not smart. It's, I yeah. think it is. And he was like, he said to me, he's like, oh God, you're really like it. Cause he knows that it's the normal podcast. He's like, oh, you're quite critical these days. And I'm like, no, I just, no. I just generally don't get on with the film, but I know so many of my friends and like, you know, colleagues who I've spoken I to have really gotten on with it. And fair enough, if they enjoyed it. Really For a film. And then I asked him, do you see the Tyrant of Mr. Ripley? And he was like, what's that? Oh yeah, ages ago, and Brighton. And I was like, you should go and rewatch that. That's yeah. so much better and so much Absolutely. smarter. I think um, that it's, it's like you were saying, it's for a film that presents itself so well visually mm. and, and sets up so much, I think the kind of shallowness of its payoff and the shallowness yeah. of what's really underneath there. The film, I realized the other day, I was like, the film is as trashy and as shallow as the characters at its heart. And that's fine if you're enjoying the film. Like I know a lot yeah. of my people, a lot of people, friends I've met, people I've met, some of whom are my friends have said, yeah. oh yeah, I've, it was silly, but I just cut, it was watchable. I'm like, yeah, I agree. That's kind of my sentiment. It's yeah. more when people go, oh yeah, what an incisive satire of yeah, the rich. I'm like, no, I'm like I so. please. Come oh, you on, just want to sound smart, George. It's yeah. Like, no. And they're like, but doesn't it look beautiful? I'm like, yeah, it does. It looks really yeah. cool. It's a two hour music video. to a period, which I don't think is really captured in cinema yet. And that film is like, actually the first films to do it. Anyway. And as you've given us a salt burn, <laughs> unintentionally a salt burn uh, tangent. This next one is from Hugh, who writes in. Uh, it says, good morning, lads. Hope you're both well. I found your wonderful pod in late November after stumbling across it on... No, Spotify! I'd been searching for a really good film analysis and review podcast for some time, trying each one out until I found yours. I found your insight, opinions, reviews, and highly accurate impressions, informative and entertaining. I thought impressions at the start of an episode of Michael Caine and Christian Bale was a clip from The Prestige. Yeah. <laughs> it was that good. Uh, I find myself saying, I agree. A lot during my morning commutes, not only with you, but also with other listeners' emails too. My question for you today is regarding True Romance, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Mm. George mentioned this in the pod from early 2023, brackets, I'm a bit behind, sorry guys, when talking about which actor's films you could watch if you could pick just one actor for the rest of your time. Brad Pitt came up, True Romance was mentioned, and I'd love to hear what you both think of it. For me, it has everything you could want in a film, including an ensemble cast made up of cameos, written by Tarantino, but directed by Tony Scott, who has been discussed before. It would be all, it would also have been very different if Tarantino directing it, oh yeah, uh, including a very different ending, but Tony Scott did a great job with it. Apologies for the long email. Keep up the good work. All the best. Hugh from High Wycombe. Have you seen it? No, I've not, but it's on oh, my yeah. long list of... Yeah. Uh, it's time films. It, it, the Tarantino hallmarks are all there. Yeah. But what, what I love is that the cast list is, I think I think we did do it early mm. on in Cast is Countdown, is so 90s. It's like Christian Slater, Val Kilmer, Tom Sizemore, Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, um, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper. It's so great. The Tony Scott aesthetic is yeah. great. It's a Rose, um, is it Patricia? It's Patricia, Patricia Arquette. It's... Um, it's really fun and it's kind of uh, brash and kind of like blood splattered and mm. silly. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson is in it for 20 seconds, uh, 22 seconds, I believe. Nice. And Gary Oldman's in it for like just a similar amount of time. But yeah, it's, it's fun and silly and kind of wild, but, and it's iconic. What I realized now looking at it, it's it, the style of it is really distinct. And holds up. Because Tony Scott always had a good visual style, yeah. as we saw with Top Gun, because he used had a background in advertising and he always had a really kind of cool American kind of pulpiness to it. We so. rewatched Top Gun 1. 
uh, before, before Top we Gun watched Top Gun Maverick, Maverick, yeah. to that episode. I thought that was a good episode when we reviewed the original Top yeah, Gun. That seems oh, like but a... we pissed off a lot of people. Oh my, oh my god. god. Some, some men are so oh. protective, of, are so insecure in their masculinity that if someone that was so threatens funny. Top Gun, they go, oh my god, I can't believe Middle-aged it. men holding assault rifles in, in their profile pictures. boink middle America got so upset that we didn't think Top Gun 1 was amazing. Even though we complimented it a lot. Anyway, anyway, next email. Guys, we've got a few uh, emails coming about anyone but you. Yes. Which we reviewed, which James reviewed last week. So quickly, this one from Campbell, who says, Hi, James and George. He's mixed around yeah, the okay, so, yeah. Best way I could think of it just to keep it spe- James um, with a G, George with a J. Uh, he says, I recently started listening to your podcast on a recommendation from a friend. Absolutely fallen in love with it. You get yes. me through several seven-hour drives over Whoa. the holidays. So thank you. Uh, George, didn't I say drives over the holidays? Commuters. Driving home for Christmas. This was for you. Campbell. I recently went to see Anyone But You and bookended it by listening to your podcast uh, about it. Um, I didn't actually hate it, but my viewing of it was enhanced in the second half by my friend informing me that it was an adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing. Right. I will say, I didn't know this going in. I did not have the pleasure of studying Much Ado About Nothing at school. Oh, I did. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I didn't get that. I know like rom-coms, loads of rom-coms have done this in the past. Um, I, I didn't know that going in, but someone, uh, Talia, yeah. came up to me and said, oh, do you know that's a yeah, spin but, on Much Ado About Nothing? I, I Googled it after I saw this email come mm. in, and it, I think that, I think the film doesn't want to mention its Shakespeare credentials only when it gets it out of jail, you know? Only when oh, people okay, go, fine. this one doesn't work. And they go, oh, well, it's based on Shakespeare thing. So is the overhearing thing in much to do about yes, that thing? Yes. So, 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 um, so that's Ca- the thing I actually had a gripe with. Campbell goes on to say that, um, uh, I think it explains the overuse of the orchestrated accidental overhearing, uh, which is a key element of much to do about nothing. Nothing um, equals noting, which is a term for gossip. And, yeah, I also heard that noting was a, was slang for sex as well back in those days. Okay. So much to do about nothing. Like oh, he's, so, he's so witty, that Shakespeare. Um, so this also explains some of the more ridiculous lines of dialogue um, and uh, the loud exclamations and somewhat unbelievable staging of conversations. Yeah, um, which are just so... They yeah. are, some of the most ridiculous so parts of the like, film. Okay, maybe, maybe it's based... Not that I've seen it, but maybe it has, but I feel like it's trying to get out of jail but anyway um, Campbell concludes by saying as an Australian I also just hated every reference to Australia and the Australian accent but I think we generally feel this when seeing Australians on screen do you mean Australians bloody hell no anyone but you no just kidding Campbell that was a joke Adam writes in and says hi George and James I hope you're both staying well staying warm this frosty January because I for one am freezing down here in Bournemouth and that's Poundland Benidorm um, <laughs> we are, we've got not minus five coming up in London this week. Oh, crikey. Frosty. Uh, he goes on to talk about anyone but you. And he says, I watched it on Jan 2nd and thought it was perfectly passable. I don't have a strong desire to rewatch it as I did with Ticket to Paradise, but I laughed a lot and enjoyed the trip. One thing that I think James may have missed is that it was a modern retelling of Much Ado About oh, Nothing. I love a bit of Shakespeare, so I picked up on it and it definitely elevated my experience. Inoffensive fun. Um, I think if I watch it, I'll watch it on a plane. Yeah, that's what it's for. That's what it's for. And there's a good plane sequence in that movie. So you'd just be, you'd just be like, what? Is <laughs> it one of those movies that's a plane movie, is in can be watched on a plane, but also a plane movie in terms it's, of its flavour? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. There's only one plane scene, but I enjoyed it. No, but like, it's plane. Uh, oh, oh, God, I wasn't there. You, God, were, you really were yeah, slow Chess and checkers, yeah. <laughs> you didn't study much to do about nothing, <laughs> no, did you? No. <laughs> um, that's the time you uh, Iris also writes in and says, in anyone else but you, I think you mean anyone but you, it was all 
much too glossy. I think it wasn't successful because it didn't fully commit. It didn't commit to being ugly, silly, and chaotic enough mm. to be funny, and it didn't commit to being faithful enough to Shakespeare in it, following the right, right beats that made his play so funny. The script isn't self-aware enough as an adaptation and personally takes itself a bit too seriously. I think the film came off as expensive in the same way a fancy shop does. It, do, it looks slick, but it's just a bit empty. I believe mm. rom-coms demand a bit of ne- me- messiness Agreed. to really work. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on these two main things. One, do you think rom-coms need to be a bit messy and a bit ugly to work? And two, what do you think about rom-coms and adaptation? George, any thoughts from your English degree background? Do you think we should be looking back at older comedies and love stories to make a comeback? to make a comeback rom-com that's more universal and timeless or whether by trying to adapt rom-coms are actually stunting themselves doing something interesting and new like what happened with anyone else but you eagerly awaiting the rom-com renaissance Iris thank you Iris the film is called Anyone But You she also says um, I totally agree with James there is a sense of hollowness to the film when you talk about rom-coms being messy question anyone but you what socioeconomic status are the two leads and is it discussed ever uh um, they are wealthy. They're definitely upper middle class, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's discussed. So I, I was just thinking then, we're talking about the messiness and the drama of a rom-com. I think the, so, the, so the main character is, is meant to be, she's studying at law school, but she's dropping out. Okay. So there's all like financial Glenn pressure, Powell. like Glenn Powell, uh, I can't remember what he does. Okay. What I was going to say is, I think that with rom-coms, when we talk about the messiness of it being a secret ingredient, I was starting to think, if is it is it the richer character is, the less good the rom-com is. Is a rom-com great if it's about rich people? Because mm. I'm thinking the more- an escapism there. Whereas that's the, that, and that's the problem I think rom-coms have fallen into, where it's like, if, we, if they're wealthy, we can have the glossy holiday, we can have the excess, it looks great, but it's also hollow. But if you think about it, if you actually have characters who are, making ends meet like struggling in a shift i'm just pulling it out of thin air yeah, they I'm give like helen hunt in um as as good as it gets even though I, I don't love that film but like but like harry and sally i mean i know that their their apartments are kind of ridiculous but like i their jobs are kind of like standard they're looking not, at like they're not glossily wealthy just thinking about the christmas rom-coms that people love the holiday and love actually everyone in that is middle class or upper middle class or prime minister that's even but there's that, no there's no poor that's not a good rom-com though I would say that's more no i'm just stuff. saying but one that resonates with people like i feel like you want it to be about every day the more every day the more rela- relatable it is also it's more filled with drama then mm, if you if you're stinks. That's I, like, like Ticket to Paradise was like that's why George also, so, Clooney and Julia Roberts being basically themselves as wealthy as they are flying first yeah. class. But also like it's kind of baked into the drama. I mean, how many Shakespeare, like Romeo Sounds and Juliet, right. people of different classes, different sides of the, I mean, they're just warring families, aren't they? Yeah. They're both, but my point is people from different sides of the tracks, like fancying each other, like, yeah. I, I think it's more interesting with the Titanic. I, I don't know where I'm going with this. I've just thought about this on the spot, but basically, I think the richer the characters are in a rom com, the less good the rom is. The less good the rom is. The less good the rom is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Iris, thank you very much for your question. Guys, thank you for all of your questions this week. We still have loads of emails uh, for different films. Some of you have written about poor things, which we're going to talk about in the bonus. But as always, guys, if you want to send in your thoughts to the show, you can do by emailing it to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. George, as always, Pop Kitchen ends... With a game. With a game. George, I have uh, three games... Uh, I have two games for you. Two rounds of the name three and six multiple oh power hour. Oh and then I have an either-or. One round of an either-or. 
Now, we've had lo- thank you for all the new listeners who come to join us. In oh, Pop hello, Kitchen. yes. It's hello. amazing. It's been an amazing start to the year. Thank you so much. I will explain the games. We always end with a game. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what I said it, but I'm on default, I'm automatic. Uh, I'm going to play a game with George. This is, we used to do this thing, which was like name six in 30 seconds, but we turned up the heat. I'm going to br- give George, he's got to name three. Name, it used to be name seven in 30 name seconds. Name seven in 30. Anyway. Uh, he's got to name three in six seconds multiple times in a round. You can play along at home, and if he fails, there'll just be a consequence. But it's a fun little game to end the show. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to get my timer out, it not my calculator. gives me a headache. George, are you ready? Let's do it. George, you have six seconds to answer each of these film questions. Ready? Quick fire. Three, two, one. Name three Leonardo DiCaprio films. Titanic, Revolutionary Road, and Django Unchained. Yes. Name three Sandra Bullock films. Uh, the Heat, uh, Speed 2, and The Blind Side. Yes. Name three characters Daniel Day-Lewis has played. Um, uh, name the characters. Yes. Daniel Plainview, uh, Abraham Lincoln, and Reynolds Woodcock. Yes. Name three Harry Potter film titles. The Prisoner of Azkaban, The Goblet of Fire, and The Order of the Phoenix. Yes. Name three... Pixar villains. Uh, Ego, Anton Ego from yep. Ratatouille. Um, uh, Sid from Toy Story. <laughs> and yes. Al from Al's Toy Barn. Oh, yeah. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. That was round one. <laughs> I passed. Yeah, yeah, you passed. You passed. You passed. <laughs> I thought um, Harry Potter titles would stunt you, but you. I know, uh, I, oh, I know yeah. all the titles. Yeah, Please, yeah, give, yeah, me, right, give me some credit. Yeah, yeah. um, Pixar villains, I threw in there. That is tough. It's harder, Pixar villains. You know, you've got Hopper. Zerg. The Toy Story is a good one to be in there. Hopper. Um, Syndrome. Yes. You've got... Um, Randall. Randall, yes. Uh, Lotso Bear from oh, Toy Story 3. Yeah. And The Prospector from Who's Toy Story 3. Inside Out? Is it her emotions? Oh, there, there isn't is no, one. There's just an antagonism. Of, what interesting point there. She is her own worst enemy. She's there are, I do think there are many villains in um, Pixar films. What's the villain in Wally? Just humans, really. Oh, uh, no, that the, 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 the red eye. The, the, oh, the, like the Hal bot. Yeah, Hal. Hal. Yeah. Is it called Hal? It's not called Hal. But it looks like Hal. It looks like Hal. All right. Um, Give me next round. Ready. Okay. George, you have to answer these film questions in six seconds. Quick fire. Ready? Three, two, one. Name three Star Wars villains. Villains? Darth Vader, uh, uh, Boba Fett, and um, Jabba the Hutt. Yes. Name three time travel movies. Back to the Future, uh, Looper, The Terminator. Name three Al Pacino movies. The Godfather, uh, Scent of a Woman, and Heat. Name the three US presidents that Forrest Gump meets. Kennedy, Nixon, Reagan? No, he doesn't meet Reagan. Uh, Ford? uh, uh, It's time. It was Johnson. Name uh, three Roger Moore Bond movies. A View to a Kill, uh, uh, The Man with the Golden Gun, and Moonraker. Yes. There you go. I've not seen any of them. Well, see, no, 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 Roger Moore. I'm very, very sparse. Lose some Roger Moore. Oh, okay. I don't think my knowledge goes pre-Brosnan. Like, Spy Love Me in Roger Moore. Uh, I've definitely, I've probably o- seen Octopussy. them all. Octopussy, Moonraker, yeah. Yeah, Moonraker's terrible. Out there, yeah. <laughs> right, George, this last one is an either or. It's a psychological experiment. I'm going to present you quick fire with two films, actors, characters, entities, directors. And you have to very quickly tell me which one you prefer. And I know by now to just go on gut and because otherwise you shout at and me. And even if you haven't seen the films, it doesn't matter. It's just like what you like the sound of or what you prefer. Okay. Okay? Ready? Just go do one round of this because I know it sort of wearies you. Ready? George? George, quick fire. Tell me which one of these you prefer. Three, two, one. James Bond or Mission Impossible? Mission Impossible. Empire of the Sun or Empire of Light? 
Empire of the Sun. Willem Dafoe or John Malkovich? Willem Dafoe. The Devil Wears Prada or Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels? Devil Wears Prada. Father of the Bride or Scarface? Not seen any, either of them in a long time. We'll just say Father of the Bride for Steve Martin. Ketchup or mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. Richie Rich or Guy Ritchie? I've never seen Richie Rich or Guy Ritchie. Inception or The Prestige? Prestige. Iron Man or Superman? Superman. Magneto or Professor X? Uh, Magneto's cooler. Call me by your name or after sun? Hmm. Quick. Call me by your name. Brokeback Mountain or Requiem for a Dream? <sighs> Brokeback Mountain. That's it. There you go. Tough. Yeah. How is Brokeback Mountain and Requiem for a Dream a pairing? They're not at all. I see. I so, see. Some of them are. So I like to sort James, of throw. Some of them genius. are like obvious pairings. Wow. Like so, Father of the Bride and Scarface. You're right. Do not pair. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. It, it's it's actually harder to psychological to put warfare. Something together. You're like, I well, see. what do I prefer? Thank you. That's but, all. I'm getting more robust. You're this. getting. I used to sweat it. and panic, but now I'm like, hmm. You're easier. Mm. You're a bit quieter. A bit more. I'm growing. It's great. Mm. Guys, thank you so much. Those were the games. Thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. We really appreciate you spending your time with us and for making it to the game section. We love you. Yeah. You're our biggest fans. Don't forget, we post new episodes of Pop Kitchen every single Wednesday. And thank you again to any new listeners that have joined us. We really appreciate it. You Welcome. are we, the, the show is growing, and it's because of all of our listeners that it, that is a, a credit to... <laughs> Bonus episode coming this week. Don't forget, James is going to talk about Night Swim and... Poor Things. That's it. James's thoughts on Poor Things. If you want to know our review on Poor Things, it was in... My review on Poor Things was last it's year. A film about a swimming pool that's evil. That's Night Swim he's talking that's about. That's Night Swim. Not to be confused. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, as ever, guys, please like, subscribe, follow us on uh, social platforms. It really help. But any, anything you can do to spread oh, the word please, about the show. Please rate us, rank us on the Spotify app. It really yeah. does help people discover the show and shows that are ranked and rated is such a massive endorsement from the people who listen to the show to help find your audience so please if you're listening watching like it rank it rate it that would be amazing thank you so much have a great week Bye. bye guys